Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 18th, 2023, and we had quite the wild card weekend. And before we talk about wild card weekend, let's talk about today's sponsor, Brooks Running. The new year means a new you, and there's one brand that has all your running essentials, and that's Brooks. From the cushioned ride of the Glycerin 20 to the speedy sensation of the Hyperion Max, Brooks has everything you need to accomplish your New Year's resolutions in style. Visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store and get suited up for the new year. Brooks, run happy. And let me tell you, I've been looking at this pair of Glycerin 20. It's the white and khaki. Looks amazing. It, it goes with everything. You can wear it to run. You can wear it to walk, wear it to stand, sit. I don't care. They're super comfortable, and that nitrogen-infused sole, man, it's killer. All right, well, let's talk about Wild Card Weekend. It was an amazing weekend of football, and it all starts 49ers beat the Seahawks 41-23, and Brock, you got to talk about Brock Purdy. I mean, I'm very impressed with him. He's very, uh, as we said, a young quarterback, rookie quarterback, and he's just fitting into this offense perfectly. Yeah, he looks amazing, and the stat line was nothing short of it. 18 for 30, 332, three touchdowns, one sack, no interceptions, and then he also got it done on the ground. He got four carries, 16 yards, and a rushing touchdown. This is the kind of performance you want to see out of your quarterback of the future, and I think that it's about time we talk about that because you know some people might think, and people have been saying that, Maybe Brock Purdy's not that great. It's just Shanahan's system. But I do think it's time to take Brock Purdy seriously. Yeah, to your point, um, I think this offensive system there in, uh, out there in San Francisco is a great system. And no matter what quarterback you put into the system, it's going to be – he's going to perform well. But I think when you put a quarterback who's you know uh, slightly above average to above average – he's going to perform really uh, great in it because they have such a great offensive line. They have great receivers, a great running back core. So there's so much to worry about uh, with all the, everything else. They don't have to worry about the quarterback. And when your quarterback is performing at a higher level, you know, that adds something else to the defense that they have to look out for. And uh, it, it just helps pick apart defenses like that. Yeah, and the Seahawks, they played well in this game. They just ultimately couldn't do enough. That's what the 49ers defense has done so well this whole year is that they don't let teams execute. And when the offense is firing, the defense plays well. And if the offense is struggling, somehow this defense gets even better. And so early on, they got the points on the board. They were able to coast. Second quarter, they slip up a little bit, give up 17 points. And then in that second half... There, nobody was getting through that 49ers defense. But for the offense, for the 49ers, like they didn't try anything that crazy, but they, they did a great job. McCaffrey, 15 carries, 119. And then Debo, six receptions, 133 and a touchdown. That is exactly what you want to see out of your two top guys. Uh, Kittle didn't have too much going on today, to, or, uh, so, or Saturday, sorry, but... Two receptions, 37 yards, that's great. But, yeah, this this offense looked great. Yeah, I mean, just again, shout-out to that defense. Like you said, they slipped a, a little bit in that second quarter, but they came back out after halftime and said, hey, this is not who we are. We got to fix it and shut this offense down. And, I mean, they sure as heck shut down uh, that, San, or sorry, that Seattle offense, and they didn't give up anything else. Yeah, the only guy that had a, a, a standout game for Seattle was D.K., 
10 receptions, 136, two touchdowns. He was really the primary source of offense. Geno had a solid game uh, other than the interception, but he also lost a fumble. So, so two turnovers from your quarterback. And the question that me and Luke were asking on Friday was, you know, who is going to shine in their first playoff start, Brock Purdy or Geno Smith? And it was Brock Purdy. Yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy definitely, uh, I'm not to say it's his coming out party, but uh, he had uh, such a great game uh, there, like you said, to reiterate his stats, 18 for 30, 332 yards and three touchdowns and one rushing and only one sack. That is one impressive game, especially against a team that made the playoffs. That means they're at least pretty good, and uh, he really just showed up and uh, showed out there. Yeah, for sure. And let's talk Jaguars-Chargers. This game was ridiculous. I was lucky enough to watch the whole thing through, and my God, what even happened? But <laughs> <laughs> let's start with Trevor Lawrence. All right, starts off the game, four for 16, four interceptions. It's rough, okay? We all get it. It, it was rough. All right, they get the touchdown going into – halftime to really help him out. But look, 27 to seven after the half is not fun. And three of those interceptions come in the first quarter. Uh, I know Asante Samuel jr. Had three interceptions himself in this game. And look, Trevor came out in the second half and led his team to a comeback. They were down 27 zero before they scored that touchdown before the half. And, Look, nobody thought the Jags were going to come back from that. We talked about it last week, how, look, the Jags are a young team. They don't have playoff experience. We don't know what they're going to do here, but I, I think it was the coaching of Doug Peterson that changed it for them. I mean, definitely the coaching there helped out, but I think, I mean, like you say, every time if you're on a football team, every time you go out, honestly, probably for any sport, my coaches always say, I know they say uh at multiple college levels because I hear coaches say it on time. It's zero to zero coming out of the halftime. Uh, they don't care how much you're up by, how much you're down by. The game, you restart the game after halftime. It's zero to zero. We're going to come back out and play our game. And obviously, Jacksonville came back out and played their game. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. And, like, look, this is how it went in the second half. Chargers punt, Jags touchdown. Chargers field goal, Jags touchdown. Chargers missed field goal. Jags touchdown. Chargers punt. Jags field goal as time expires to win the game. Look, that is a ridiculously good second half out of that Jaguars offense. Yeah, and I mean, shout out to my boy Evan Ingram. I mean, got a lot of hate his last few years up at the Giants, but he's uh, showing back up down here in uh, Jacksonville. Yeah, man. Duval just does something to you. Duval? But I mean... Really, someone I want to uh, – the side of this team I really want to uh, give the biggest shout-out to uh, is the Jacksonville defense. I mean, you let up 27 points and one half of football. I don't care who you're playing or what you are. You cannot give up 27 points in one half and expect to win. And they came back out that second half with uh, just fire in them. They were ready to play, and they showed up. Yeah, it, it was – a fantastic display of defense in that second half from Jacksonville. Foye Aluakon looked great. 
Josh Allen, and no, not the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, the linebacker, he looked great. Like, this was an impressive showing from a, a very young team. And, and look, we'll see where it goes from here. They've got to play the Chiefs next week. But it, it looked great. But for the Chargers, who will be going home, they looked good early. They were capitalizing on some continuous turnovers. But at some point, we all knew they were going to charger it up. And they just couldn't get first downs in the second half, and that's going to kill you every time. Look, the defense could stop the run, which, or sorry, the defense couldn't stop the run, which in turn couldn't stop the passing game. We talk about it every week, and I don't want to go into it again and again and again, but the running game sets up the passing game, and that's what Jacksonville did to a T in the second half. Etienne, 20 carries, 109 in this game. And it just allowed Trevor Lawrence to get more opportunities. And that's what it came down to. Yeah, I mean, again, not to uh, beat a dead horse here, but uh, just it's, it is amazing. Uh, you, you said it to a T. Their offense worked perfectly. They were running that ball and setting up the, uh, Trevor Lawrence for the pass. And they were able to convert and get down the field. They just looked, I mean – that that second half there, they looked like a completely different team. It, it's just crazy. Yeah, and, and I think that part of that, like I said a little bit earlier, is having playoff experience. You have a Super Bowl winning head coach with Doug Peterson. Look, the guy knows what he's doing. And in situations like this, you need a guy that's been there before. And, and Doug Peterson is that guy. I think that, that he is going to be the key to this team this year and for years to come. Yeah, I, I 100% believe uh, having coaching experience is really great. What's really going to help this very young team, uh, the Jaguars, go moving forward is even if they lose uh, this upcoming week to the Chiefs or if they win, whatever it is, it's the getting this experience. That's what's really going to help, help them set up uh, for the years to come. Yeah, and I feel like this is something that's being kind of overlooked is that this is Justin Herbert's first playoff appearance as well. And, look, he didn't play bad. They just didn't execute. They couldn't get the running game going, which is a surprise for Austin Eckler. But, look, Gerald Everett was a super reliable receiver in this one. Keenan Allen, not so much. 13 targets, 6 receptions. That's a tough one. But, look, the Chargers looked good until they didn't. And then, you know, I had to go and make the jokes on Twitter after the game. Uh, I'm, I'm starting the narrative. I don't care. It's not a joke anymore. Justin Herbert can't win in the playoffs. I'm, I'm just going to stake that one right now. And you watch. Because <laughs> the next two years, when they continue to get bounced in the first round, it's because they're always going to play a top four seed. Look, they're set up to lose because they're in the same division as the Chiefs. They're never going to get to win that division, at least in the near future, just because of how good the Chiefs are. And so they're always going to have to play a top-four seed, and they'll just continue to lose in the first round. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I've seen a lot of is they were blaming their coaching, in which, I mean, of course, getting after scoring 27 in the first half and scoring only three in the second, there's a coaching issue there uh, in the play calling, but... I mean, the, in that second half, it just doesn't look. It just looks like the Chargers just went to sleep at the wheel. Like, yeah. One thing I did to say is, since the Chargers blew, the, now have blown a bigger lead than the Falcons. I don't want to hear any more uh, twenty-eight to three. All right. Yeah, it's too bad. We're still going to hear it. This wasn't the Super Bowl. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
But you were talking about the coach, and that's the next thing I've got. Look, Brandon Staley, whether you think he's a good coach or not, he's on the hot seat. Look, they need someone better than an analytics nerd that looks like he doesn't know what he's doing as the head coach. It doesn't even look like he is the head coach when he's on the field. Joey Bosa was out there treating Staley like he was the equipment manager. Bosa chucked his helmet down on the ground, gets a personal foul. Brandon Staley walks over, picks up his helmet, hands it to Bosa, and of course, inevitably, Bosa spikes it on the ground again. What else did you think was going to happen? And look, I'm not saying that Brandon Staley doesn't know what he's doing, but look, he understands football, and the whole thing about Staley when he was coming in is he's an analytics guy, and that he'd bring a modern modern flair to a failing franchise, and now he's a failing coach for a failing franchise. Well, I think for him is I wouldn't really say he's a he's a failing coach as much. I mean, he he won uh, ten games. He he did good. His biggest issue is he's got to get control on his team of his team. I don't care what level of football you're at, what level of sport you're at. Uh, this goes with, if you're that coach and you cannot get control of your players, you're not going to be super successful. Yeah, I I think that what it boiled down to with this game was the penalties as well. The Chargers had seven penalties to the Jags three. Like that changes a lot, and I know that. You know they missed some calls on both sides, and they made some interesting calls against the Chargers. Obviously, Bosa was upset, but you gotta you gotta work with what you have. And if you're gonna keep getting flags on things that you can argue for all game, it's not gonna change. Yeah, like uh, like I said, I mean there there are so many examples I can pull uh of just the discipline i mean look at alabama this year we'll know why they weren't so successful and they lost those two games because they're they i think they were the uh either the third or fourth mo- most penalized team in the nation this year and like you said you cannot win football games if you're giving up 100 yards and penalties yeah yeah it's just not a recipe for success but let's talk bills dolphins the bills just barely edge it out 34-31, and look, what happened? Skylar Thompson looked like an actual quarterback, and Josh Allen looked like a, a, a human. It, it was crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was a quite crazy game. I mean, he gave up, what, seven sacks for 30-some-odd uh, yards and two interceptions, I believe? Yeah, and he lost a fumble. Oh, goodness, yeah. I mean... Well, this is something I say. I've defended Josh Allen long enough, and I'm going to say something that uh, I feel like older people might agree with. He's very similar to uh, Brett Favre. He likes to just sling it out there, you know? Yeah, look, he's a gunslinging quarterback because he has an absolute cannon, like, like, just like Brett Favre, like you said. I think that when it comes to Favre, the picks were much more of a problem, but... I think what's hurting Josh Allen is he knows he can make throws and he knows he can throw them into difficult spots. But like like the one where his receiver just tipped off of his hands and it got picked off, like that's just unlucky. And so I, I think that is a factor in it. Look, Josh Allen is relatively unlucky when it comes to some of these turnovers he commits. But I think it's just because he has so much confidence in himself as a quarterback. 
Yeah, that's very good to have. You, you want to have a quarterback with confidence. That is, uh, I'm not going to say anything against that. But with that being said, I mean the seven sacks. I mean, I feel like every time I see Lamar ja- or sorry, not, Josh Allen, he's back there in the backfield dancing around. Yeah, which you know could be attributed to the offensive line, and yeah, Miami does have a, a solid defense. They've showed it throughout the year, but yeah, you're right. He he doesn't need to you know, try and do some crazy stuff, but he also likes to have time to throw the ball down the field. So maybe that's something they need to address is, you know, give him more time so he doesn't have to run around. But at the same time, he was still throwing the deep ball successfully. Stefan Diggs had seven receptions for 114 yards along of 52. Gabe Davis, six receptions, 113, a touchdown along of 33. He can still throw the ball down the field, but if you gave him a little bit more time in the pocket, he wouldn't commit as many turnovers. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. They definitely need to get a uh, to upgrade that offensive line because, like you said, a lot of his turnovers and a lot of uh, his sacks come from him not getting a, a good amount of time in the pocket to pass. But, um, yeah, that's just definitely something they got to work on. I mean, besides that, it looked it was a great game. Yeah, it was a great game to watch, except for me, because I I took the Bills to cover. But that's besides the point, because look, they they did it all over the field. The Bills the Bills had a great game. They they even hit Cole Beasley for a touchdown. But I, I think that in general, this performance was a little out of character for the Bills. They took an early lead, and it it wasn't even that they took their foot off the gas. It seemed like they were trying. They were just getting exposed. Yeah, I mean, their rushing didn't seem too bad. I mean, they ended up uh, they they get they did. Oh goodness gracious, I cannot speak. They ended up giving uh, uh I mean, between two running backs, they gave them both a fair amount of carries and got uh, uh, so good yardage from both of them. But um, they just I don't know. There's just something about them that just doesn't look quite right. I mean, Josh Allen had three fumbles though. You can't do that, and he lost one. And along with uh, two interceptions, I mean, right there, that is three, uh, three uh, gr- prime examples of how you can lose a football game just by turning the ball over. Yeah, and then for Miami, look, Skylar Thompson obviously did nothing extraordinary. Eighteen for forty-five is horrendous. Two twenty, one touchdown, two interceptions. He got sacked four times. The problem was that he had to do that. They could not establish a run whatsoever. Jeff Wilson Jr. could not break away. I know he got one touchdown, but 10 carries for 23 yards, that is awful. And then, you know, outside of that, the next highest carries was Salvin Ahmed with five carries. He only got three yards. And so when you can't establish a run game, when you have your third-string quarterback in, it's tough to win a game, especially in the playoffs, against the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it's. I mean... That goes all season. I think we've been talking about their lack of a running game. And, uh, like, Jacksonville, you have to run the ball to set up a passing game. And I cannot tell if it's their offensive line that's the biggest issue, which it usually tends to be. And it kind of seemed like they didn't really help out there. Or if they just need a much better running back. But they could not, for the life of them, like you said, get a running game established. Yeah, I I do think a a better running back would – suit them extremely well and you know there's guys they could draft 
but it's more than likely that they're not going to upgrade just because, like, Mike McDaniel's got two guys he's familiar with. It just happens that Raheem Mostert was out. But, look, these are the same two running backs he ran with the 49ers last season, Jeff Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert. That's who he wants on his team. You just need both of them there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to do that. But at the same time, you got to do something here because you cannot run the ball 20 times and only get 42 yards in a football game and expect to win. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk about Giants-Vikings. They did it. The Giants beat the Vikings 31-24. And look, I've been saying it. I've been high on the G-men for a few weeks now. I told everybody that I liked how the Giants match up with the Vikings. And on top of it, Daniel Jones, a.k.a. Danny Dimes, a.k.a. Vanilla Vic, he was all in one. 24 for 35, 301, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And on top of it, 17 carries, 78 yards. It seemed like half the time that he ran with the ball, it was for a first down. He looked incredible in this game. Yeah, he had a great game. And I'm going to retract some of my statements going after uh, Danny Dimes here. I said some mean things about him. And I take him back. I mean, in this game, he looked just amazing. Yeah, like they couldn't stop him. Look, you could try and stop him in the air. Or, or, you know, you can restrict his receivers. He'll run. You try and put a spy on him, he'll hit you over the middle. Like, it doesn't matter. Daniel Jones was capitalizing on everything. And then, on top of it, his skill position players were playing great. Isaiah Hodgins, eight receptions, 105, and a touchdown. Darius Slayton, four receptions, 88 yards. And then Saquon, though he didn't do too much in the running game, nine carries, 53 yards. He had five receptions, 56, so 109 all-purpose, and he got two rushing touchdowns. Those are phenomenal games out of the guys you need. Yeah, definitely for the Giants, having Saquon Barkley back has made the world a difference for them. And that's what they've been missing because the last few seasons he's been injured, beaten up, bruised, whatever. And he, he hasn't been getting, hasn't been able to get his touches either. He hasn't been able to play. Or he's been hurt, so they've been taking him out of the games. But being able to have him back full time, as you can see, uh, just in their record and uh, how they're doing this year, it has made the world a difference to have him back. Yep. And then for the Vikings, look, Kirk had a, a solid game. 31 for 39 is impressive. 273, two touchdowns. Look, you probably want him to be throwing it a little bit further down the field, and that's what they ran into on that last drive. But once again, the running game just couldn't get started. Dalvin Cook got 15 carries, only 60 yards. You need more out of him. And Hawkinson had an outstanding game. He was really the biggest outstanding player in this game. 10 receptions, 129. That is amazing, but... When it came down to it, late in the game, Darius Slayton had a tough drop at the end of what was most likely a drive that would seal the game. And luckily for the Giants, Kirk Cousins can do nothing but be Kirk Cousins. And on that final chance that the Vikings had, Kirk threw a three-yard check down to Hawkinson on fourth and eight. Like, what, what was the point of that? You had time. Uh, like you said, Kirk Cousins is just going to Kirk Cousins. Um, I mean, 
with like you said, uh, going to the ru- running game is 15 carries for 60 yards isn't the worst thing. Isn't the worst in the world. I mean, that's averaging four yards a carry. With that being said, I I just think they need they need to get themselves another running back to kind of divvy off the weight uh the workload. Yeah, Dalvin Cook's an amazing running back, but I think if you bring another running back into this uh into their offense, whether it be uh if they just start using another one or if they decide uh, if they already have one on their team that could be that would be a great uh backup for him or if they want to pick one up in a later round or something, but someone to just kind of switch out work. Uh, take off that workload for him because yep. I mean, y- you can't just rely on one running back the entire game. Yeah, they've got Alexander Madison, and he got zero carries. He got one reception for two yards in the game. But like, just give him a shot. Don't make Dalvin stand on the field the whole game. Yeah, you got you got like I said, just you got to switch off that workload because I'm uh, uh, most every time I looked in there, Dalvin Cook was in there for most every play. Whether it be for uh, and for pass blocking, going out for passes, whatever it is, you got to switch off that workload. Yeah, like Dalvin Cook had six receptions for ten yards. He was literally just standing there playing check down, and it, it did nothing for them. Yeah, so I, I definitely think uh, for them, uh, they got to work on that with their running backs and and just in their offensive scheme, just bringing in another running back. Uh, I sound like a broken record here. I'm sorry, but I just cannot get over the fact that they just use one running back though, basically the whole game. Yeah, it's crazy. But let's talk Bengals-Ravens. This one was a little bit more crazy. Bengals take it 24-17. And, yeah, it was an interesting one because this is a Bengals team that has all of their offensive weapons. They've got Burrow. They've got Mixon. They've got Chase. They've got Higgins. They've got Tyler Boyd. Like, everybody is here. And you're playing a Ravens team with no Lamar Jackson, no Devin Duvernay, and you only win 24-17? Something here that I want to point out, we point out in the other games. This Bengals offense could not establish a run game at all. And, and I and, think... Oh, go ahead. I was saying, and to be frank, I don't care if you have Joe Burns, Mark Chase, one of the greatest connections, like, ever. That Just because you have them two doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to do great in the game. You have to set up a run game. Yeah, exactly. And Baltimore had a, a, a solid run game in this one. They they got 155 rushing yards as a team. J.K. Dobbins, 13 carries, 62 yards. And look, in my opinion, Tyler Huntley played a better game than Joe Burrow. But the Bengals do exactly what they do every week. And they just win. It, it doesn't matter how they win. They just know how to pull it out. If you showed me this box score, I'd have told you that Baltimore probably won. But yeah. the Bengals just do things that don't they don't look good, but they win. And that's exactly what they did in the playoffs last year, and it's exactly what they're going to do this year. Yeah, one thing the Bengals desperately didn't do, and I thought they fixed it more they fixed it more than they did last season. But their offensive line is still just horrible. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a tough one. I mean, four sacks they gave up on Joe Burrow, and that's just the sacks. That's not all the quarterback pressures they had on him, not the amount of times he saw a big old six foot ten, five hundred pound defensive lineman rushing at his face so he has to get rid of the ball quick. There's so many times he's in the backfield having to run for his life because they miss a block, they miss an assignment, whatever it is. 
Yeah, the the defense isn't honestly on both of these teams. They didn't look good. That That's what kind of surprised me with how low scoring this was. It was just inconsistent offensive play. And look, the Bengals need to improve something here because they're going up against the Bills next week. And yeah, both of those teams didn't look amazing. They weren't at 100%. But I, I, I got to see more from the Bengals if they want to get out of the divisionals. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. There's got to be I, – I got to just see a running game on the Bengals for me to believe they can make, make it uh, through the divisionals into the championships. And, like, I mean, from what I've seen, there hasn't been too much of a running uh, – a good running game from them this year. Yeah, they, they've been struggling in the run game. I think it's – you know, Mixon hasn't had a good year whatsoever. He missed a little bit of time with the concussion – and I believe he missed some, missed some weeks early in the season. But still, it's Joe Mixon. He's a guy that looked outstanding last year. He had a f- like four-touchdown game this season. He's just not getting it done, and something needs to happen here. But let's talk Cowboys-Buccaneers Monday night. The Cowboys did it. They beat Tom Brady for the first time in Tom Brady's career. They win it 31-14, even though Brett Maher... Missed four straight extra points. Oh, that's just, that is just so funny. Like, you get paid millions of dollars a year, and you cannot complete a 15-yard field goal? Come on. (laughs) Yeah, it it blows my mind. Like, what are you doing? It's literally your job title. You're a kicker. All you have to do is kick. Look, half of your job is to kick the ball on kickoffs. The other half of your job is to kick the ball on field goals and extra points. And you did it horribly. Like, like there, I don't even know. Like, there has to be a word worse than horribly. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was inexcusable. But also, uh, I tweeted it from the second and short account. Brent Maher, if you're looking to, you know, get a job after this offseason, we're not going to pay you, but I would be glad for you to uh, host a show on Second and Short if you if you need a job next year. Yeah, and you can hear a bunch of uh, young adults slander you. Yeah, but look, I'll, I'll be nice. I'm not going to front. I'll, be I'll nice. probably be nice, too. He has a lot more money than me, so. <laughs> All right, well, look, he got bailed out, though by a great performance from Dak Prescott, which we have not seen much of this season. 25 for 33, 305, four passing touchdowns, 24 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, and a little cherry on top, Dak didn't even throw a pick in this game. That's a first. I think it's the third time this season that he hasn't (laughs) thrown a pick. I mean, that's impressive. (laughs) But uh, really, uh, what I want to say here, is just go to their box score and look at the rushing difference. Uh, Tony Pollard alone had more carries and more yards than both running backs for Tampa Bay. What it looks like when I'm looking here is, yeah, Dak had a great game, but they, but the Buccaneers had Tom Brady pass 66 times. The dude's 45. I don't know if his shoulder can hold that, can handle that anymore. Yeah, it's. I don't know what's going on with Tom Brady, and I don't think we ever will. I think it's just age, honestly. But, yeah, 35 for 66 is uh, very bad for 
you know, the GOAT. He's the GOAT. Regardless of whatever happened this year, he's the greatest of all time. But 35 for 66 is just ridiculous. He tried to put the team on his back, but he sucked. And I think that looking at this team after this game, there is not a good future ahead of the Buccaneers. I mean, I think something here that I kind of want to point out is uh, Tom Brady was trying to put the team on his back that they didn't really run the ball enough. I mean, uh, Rashad uh, White had seven carries for 41 yards. That's almost averaging six yards a carry. That is very good. Why are we not running him more? It's just because they got down, man. When you get down, you got to pass the ball. You can't run yourself out of time. See, but, I think that's a mentality. They went into halftime down 18-0. to zero. Okay, let's come back out and let's do what we're good at doing. Yeah, no, well, I, I agree with that. I think that they probably should have just stuck to the game plan on the offense. And look, the defense was what was falling apart. The defense looked brutal. They, they couldn't get to Dak. He only got sacked once. They only got four tackles for loss. They only hit him five times. Like, you got to stop. You got to get stops on defense if you want your offense to do anything. And, and that's what they were missing. Yeah, the uh, biggest thing you said uh, there is you got to get to the quarterback. I mean, you cannot allow the quarterback to sit back there and have all time, all day in the world for the football because you only get a, a at some point a receiver is going to get open. There's going to be a bust in coverage because you can only do so much as a defensive player. And so you get as a defensive lineman or whoever's bringing the pressure, you have to be able to get back to that quarterback. And like you said, there was only one sack, and did not. And honestly, not it didn't appear to be too many pressure, even too many pressures on Dak. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on in Tampa Bay, and we'll we'll just have to see. But this kind of segues us into our NFL news, and I just want to ask you, Brock, what is next for Tom Brady? I mean, if I'm Tom Brady, I would have retired <laughs> five years ago or whenever – or sorry, what was – when did he win that last Super Bowl? Three years ago? Yeah. Yeah, three years ago after I win that Super Bowl, I'm going out on top. See ya, I'm gone. But, of course, it's Tom Brady, and he wants to keep proving a point. And I don't know what the point he's proving at this point is except for getting himself hurt and losing his family. Yeah, but then again, you know, he's already given it all up. Why not keep playing? Exactly. Uh, if I'm him, I'm I'm getting out of Tampa Bay because this is a great example. Uh, this game right here, they are getting old. They're gonna have to go into a rebuild here soon. And as a quarterback that's already old and up there, you don't want to be on a team that's rebuilding. He needs to get out of there and go somewhere with a team that all they need is a quarterback, and yeah. he can lead them one more Super Bowl or whatever it is, and then retire. I think that the destination for him is Vegas. First of all, mid-40s, recently divorced. There's no better place for a man to go. But they also need a quarterback. And look, if you have the opportunity to get Tom Brady, of course you're going to take that opportunity. And I honestly don't feel like it's going to be too expensive to get Tom Brady because he wants to keep playing. So, I mean, if you give him a, a good contract, I'm sure he'll take it. Yeah, and then, you know, the other destination that is a maybe is Tennessee. Look, they obviously need some help. We saw the quarterback situation this season, and uh, it was not pretty. 
But I, I don't know. I, I think that Vegas will be the spot for him. I, I don't see him coming back to Tampa. And Tennessee might happen, but I, I kind of think Rodgers is going to go to Tennessee. I think the thing with Brady is Brady wants to go somewhere, especially now that he's a little older, that has a superstar receiver for him to throw the ball, for him to get the ball to. And I think out of the Tennessee and Vegas, I mean, these are, of course, speculations. But out of those two, I, if I'm Tom Brady, I would want to go to Vegas. Oh, yeah. With the with the players they have, they're in a much better situation. You've got Devontae Adams. Hunter Renfro's been really good. Mac Hollins is solid. you got Josh Jacobs, who's emerging as definitely one of the best running backs in the league. There's a good thing going right now in Vegas, and there's a chance that Brady hops on the train. Yeah, he hops in there, gets a year, two years in there, can lead him to a Super Bowl. I mean, that would be a great way for him to retire because, like I said, he's getting up there in age. I don't care what anybody says. He is going to retire soon because his body is not going to physically be able to handle it anymore. Yeah. Hey, look, they, they love to gamble in Vegas. But let's talk Harbaugh. Uh, normally I wouldn't talk about him in the NFL because he hasn't been here in a while, but he sat this you know these last couple weeks since Michigan got eliminated, just flirting with the NFL, and I think that he's probably going to continue to do that every year. But he it's official he will be staying at Michigan. But I I think that he just does this little NFL thing every off season just to kind of scare Michigan into paying him more and more. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. Lane Kiffin did it at Ole Miss with uh, the Auburn job. Coaches do it all the time. He's trying to get more money. Harbaugh doesn't want to go anywhere else. He's at his alma mater. He's got a great thing going right now. He's now beat Ohio State two years in a row. He's going to want to make it three. He's got so much going on at Michigan. Why would he want to leave it right now? Yeah, I think that he would be stupid to leave, but he's real smart for sitting there and just kind of toying around with the idea. Oh, yeah. He is very smart for that because, I mean, heck, if they say, you know what, screw you, uh, just leave. He can just say, okay, and he'll say bye and go to the NFL and make probably a, a little more than what he's making at uh, Michigan. Yeah. and So, I mean, he's in a perfect situation because he's done great these last few years at Michigan. He's brought him back-to-back playoff appearances. Although he's lost both of them, embarrassingly, might I add, but <laughs> he's got something going, and I don't, and they don't want to lose him, and I honestly don't think he wants to leave. I I don't think so either. But let's talk another coach that might be making a comeback to the NFL, Sean Payton. He only retired after last year, but I think he's getting tired of being on TV. He interviewed with the Texans, and I believe he interviewed with the Broncos today. And, look, the problem with Sean Payton right now is that if a team wants him, they've got to trade something to the Saints for his contract. That's uh, that's crazy. So what the reports are right now is that if you want Sean Payton as your coach, you're going to have to give up a first-rounder. Well, the Broncos have nothing to give up after they uh, – Gave everything for uh for old uh, uh uh Wilson. Yeah, uh, it, it's a weird situation. We don't see this happen often, where 
you know, and look, the Saints are geniuses for for making this, you know, a big deal because a lot of times like a player will retire and the team will just like cut him and just like let him go and like they'll mutually agree to part ways or whatever and then they'll sign wherever they want. But when it's a coach, a coach that won you a Super Bowl and he's got the opportunity to get a new job elsewhere and your team kind of needs some help, make your money, get some stuff out of it. Oh yeah, that was very smart of them. Yeah, I think uh, I'm very surprised he doesn't want to try and return back to the Saints. But of course, you know they have their coach right now. They haven't really looked too hot. But again, coaching turmoil. They just turned out you know new coach, mess of a, basically just a mess of a, uh, a franchise right now. Yeah, they're in a bad spot, and it makes sense why Sean Payton retired. Look, he had nothing else to play for. He won himself a Super Bowl. He got some coaches of the year, I'm pretty sure. Nothing else to do. And his quarterback retired. Like, that was his guy. And now, like I said, Sean Payton's kind of tired of watching. He wants to be there. And I I do think that there's a chance he goes to the Texans. There's a chance he goes to the Broncos. I think he's looking to start fresh and, and go to a team where he can build something. And I think the Texans would be his best option. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the Texans are the best option for him because, first off, they have the number two overall pick this year. He can pick himself up a quarterback, and that you know that will be his quarterback, his next quarterback. Again, he goes to the Texans. I think Bryce Young would be a great uh, option for uh, if he goes to the Texans uh, for them to pick up if he's there because I've said it before. He reminds me a lot of Drew Brees. He's a little undersized, but he can put the ball – exactly where it needs to be he's extremely accurate and extremely confident and just more mobile uh more uh, mobile than uh drew Brees was so i think he would be a great person for uh the texans to get if sean payton comes there and then they can you know build up from there i think the texans have a, a very uh, good future especially if they get a good coach yeah i i do as well and sean payton is most definitely a good coach and I would love nothing more for if he does come back to not be in the NFC South. So yeah. let's talk a little bit of NFL draft. Look, college has come to a close, uh, and you know all of the teams that didn't make the playoffs, their spots are locked in in the draft. So let's talk a little bit of top 10 mock draft. Uh, we'll start it out with the Bears. I think they're going to trade back, but I- I'm not going to do any trades here and – if they're not trading, I think they're taking Jalen Carter. Yeah, I mean, they definitely could use a little something on defense there. Uh, I think Jalen Carter is probably the best interior defensive lineman in the draft, and I, I, I'm sure that's not even a shocking statement. I'm sure every uh, website and blogger or whatever has him as number one, but um, I think I'd have to agree with you there. I, uh, we kind of talked about before, uh, I think Jalen Carter would be a great fit there, and – uh, like uh, again, I hate to sound exactly like you, but I would be surprised if they don't uh, trade back to get uh some more draft picks or something else. Yeah, because look, the Colts probably want the first pick, and they've got the opportunity to trade with the Colts, maybe get like a a third or second round pick off of them, and then the Colts get to take whoever they want, which will most likely be a quarterback, possibly Bryce Young, who knows? But um. 
Yeah, I think that the Bears are in a great position because either way they can get a top defensive player in this draft, whether that be Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. So let's talk Texans. I think we both agree here. And as much as I think that Bryce Young shouldn't be the first quarterback off the board, which I've talked about before, I think he will be because outside of his build, he's better than everyone else. Um, and that's just what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, he is just out of every quarterback, I think he's the best one suited for the NFL to be able to be a starter uh, coming in. Not to think because CJ Stroud is going to have great, he has great potential and everything, but I think they, they, you, I just would, I like Bryce Young more because I think when he comes in, he's going to be start, he's going to start off good. Yeah. I, I think that what Bryce Young truly, you know, separates himself from CJ Stroud with his mobility. I think that Bryce Young moves around in the pocket super well. He scrambles really well. And though he has a small build, he's still got a cannon. He makes smart passes. He, he is the package here. He is 100% all around a great quarterback, and it'd be hard to pass him up. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's just very hard to pass up, like you said. To, for me, with Bryce Young, that I like the most is – He's always had such great confidence, and no matter what the situation is, he will he will play amazingly to the no matter what it is, whether he's up by ninety, down by ninety, he will do exactly what needs to be done to get down the field and uh, score score some points. He's done it several times. My favorite example was last year in the Iron Bowl when Alabama was down, and he had a I believe it was like a ninety five yard drive or something like that down the field to get the scoring uh the score to uh, send overtime in the iron bowl yeah that was a fantastic performance but let's talk cardinals at three who you think the cardinals are going to take um uh we, we talked about them needing uh, a edge rusher mainly and i think uh i mean the best edge rusher in the draft 100 percent is will anderson jr yeah look they need to get past rushing they're losing jj watt now and Jalen Carter most likely won't be available. So Will Anderson is 100% the pick here. Yeah, he is insanely good. For two seasons at Alabama now, this season and last season, he was the, oh, shoot, what's the what's the award for the best uh, lineman? Is it Bednarik? Is that the defensive I th- player? I believe that is. He won that in back-to-back years. Heisman finalist or top five Heisman voting in 2021, correct? Yes. I mean, he's been a great player. Whoever gets him is getting a great pick. And like we said, I believe it's the Arizona Cardinals. And he's going to, I think he's going to do great. Yeah. Look, he's got a, a phenomenal eye for the ball. He can rush as good as anyone in college football probably better than anyone in college football when it comes to edge rushing. And he's got intangibles. The guy is resilient. Nothing has ever stopped Will Anderson except for that Georgia offensive line last year in the uh, championship game. And it's because they were able to put, like, two guys on him. He, I mean, he is six foot four, 243 pounds, and he is quick. The yeah. dude is freaking quick. It is crazy. All right, well, let's talk Indianapolis Colts. It's very obvious they need a quarterback. 
And, and look, I've looked at a couple of mock drafts today, and people are a little bit split, surprisingly, but who you think they're taking? I mean, I know there are two options. Everyone's saying C.J. Stroud or uh, old boy from Kentucky. Um, Will Levis. Will Levis. Yeah. I, I know people say Will Levis is yeah, – NFL, he's got the NFL uh, talent. You know, he's got the arm, he's got the size, he's got all that. But I personally think CJ Stroud is better than him, and I would go with CJ Stroud. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like super sold on CJ Stroud after the combine if they trade up from the Bears and still take CJ at one. Yeah, I mean, the way CJ looked in that Peach Bowl against. Georgia, he looked phenomenal. Yeah, and just throughout the year, he looked great, you know, barring that Northwestern game with the gale force winds. But, yeah, I I think that C.J. Stroud is a phenomenal quarterback. He's got the build. He's got, you know, he, he's good in the pocket. He's got a cannon of an arm, and it's real accurate too. And I, I just think he's super consistent. Look, he, he's not much of a running threat, which is fine. People, like, you know, most teams don't need that out of their quarterback, though that is kind of the modern quarterback archetype is to be able to scramble. But I, I still think that C.J. Stroud, maybe after the combine, after, you know, some pro days, might might jump Bryce Young or at least really make it a decision. Yeah, I have to agree with you. He, like you said, he's got the build, he's got the freaking cannon of an arm. He can put it where exactly where it needs to be. And uh, I think maybe in the NFL he might – he's never going to be a true uh, dual threat quarterback. But I think he might uh, – as he get in the NFL, he might scramble a little more, might run a little more. Because, like you said, especially with the defenses the way they are now, they're going to be able to get to the quarterback. So he's got to be a little more mobile. And I think he is a little quicker than Will Levis. And I kind of like his decision-making a little more. Yep, 100% agree. Let's talk Seahawks. I – Look, they need to pressure the quarterback, and at this point, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter will be off the board. It's got to be Miles Murphy. Yeah, uh, again, second best uh, edge rusher in the in the in the draft. I mean, he's had a great career at Clemson. He has done very well. I mean, he's got a great build as well. He's six foot five, two hundred seventy five pounds. Holy crap! He's I mean, more of an interior lineman than an edge rusher, but I, I, I get it. He's pressuring the quarterback 100%. Yeah. Well, with that size, for his size, he's quick is what, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. He's, he's not going to be beating anybody off the edge by any stretch of the imagination by his speed, but he will be he, – he's got a quick get off, and he's going to be able to get there and make the moves to get, on, get to that quarterback. And yeah. he, like you said, he can play – you can uh, shift him around in the defense. He can play both inside and uh, – Outside, uh, depending on wherever, uh, whatever the defense is running and whatever it is, he can play either or. Yeah, and it's exactly what the Seahawks need. They need to bolster that defensive front, and he's going to be the best available. So it's got to be Miles Murphy out of Clemson. Let's talk Lions. It seems to be the consensus pick here is Keely Ringo out of UGA. And I feel like he's proved it. He played amazing in that championship game. He's a proven college corner. Uh, I could also see him maybe shifting over to the safety position. 
because of how well he surveys the field, he makes a good play on the ball. He can also come down and get a tackle. I, I either way, I think he's going to pan out. Yeah, he's a very good corner, and uh, I don't know how high up they have him on the draft boards, but uh, he's very good. And I think once he gets into the NFL and starts getting more experience and uh, more coaching, he'll be much better. I mean, yeah. he's had great coaching at Georgia. Do not get me wrong. Georgia has the best coaching staff in the nation right now, especially uh, mostly for the defense. And he has amazing coaching. But I think after he gets to the next level and he gets some more coaching by the uh, NFL coaches, he's going to be a much better uh, corner. Yeah, I think he's got to be the guy there for Detroit. They need secondary help. And look, they've already got the edge rusher with Aiden Hutchinson, and they've got talent across the field on the defense. But yeah, bolstering that secondary can only help them, and, and that's why they've got to take Keely Ringo here. Let's talk Raiders because they're in an interesting position. They could go after a quarterback if they want, but what I think they need the most is an offensive line because no matter who they get at quarterback, you got to open up some holes for Josh Jacobs. He's submer- He's emerging as the best running back in the league, and if you can help him out a little bit more, he already led the league in rushing yards. He might do it again. Yeah. Um, definitely having an offensive line is very important as we speak every single week. Running the ball is the most important thing you do in football, and that starts with the offensive line. Football games are one in the trenches. The two coaches that, that know that the best are the two coaches right now that have the two most titles in college football, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Both of them understand. Football is one in the trenches, and you have to win the battle in trenches to win a football game. And they do it most every week. Yeah, and so it's really just up to who do you like more at the offensive line positions because Paris Johnson out of Ohio State is fantastic. But Peter Skaronsky is a fantastic lineman coming out of Northwestern who is 100% in offensive lineman school. Yeah, I was about to say, every, I mean, just about every year I hear there's someone coming out of Northwestern, <laughs> some big old offensive lineman coming out of Northwestern. So who do you think it's going to be, Brock? Johnson or Skaronsky? I think it, it would – I think it might be the uh, uh, Skaronsky out of Northwestern just because there's so many good players coming uh, – good offensive linemen coming from Northwestern. I mean, you have a great proven – uh, track record of linemen coming from there. Why not? You know, continue with it. Yeah, Let's see if I, it continue to, along with him. I mean, so I like Paris Johnson in this one only because look, he's proven that he can protect a quarterback, and, and they're playing the best teams. He protected C.J. Stroud that whole first half in that Georgia game, and I think there's things like that that are a difference maker because you see the success of C.J. Stroud. And part of that is a result of Paris Johnson in the trenches. I mean, if you were to look at, there's so many things we can look at. I want to see them at the pro day, see who, see how quick they are. See, uh, I really want to see their quickness and their uh, mobility because that's something that's really big in today's football. Is yeah, we want you to be big and strong, but we also want you to move in case. I mean, these are offensive tackles, so we don't, they don't really worry about pulling and uh, most of that, but they got to be quick on their feet, especially in today's NFL. So I think I'm, uh, 
my decision at the end of the day would come down to see what I what after the pro days. But I think I'm gonna stick with uh, my Northwestern boy. All right. Well, I've got Paris Johnson. You've got Skaronski. But let's move on to our Atlanta Falcons. This one is interesting because, of course, you could just say that they need a quarterback, but I don't think that that's the immediate thing to address here. We can ride with Ritter for a little bit, get a quarterback once other things have been addressed. I think you got to bolster the pass rush. And, look, a lot of people are saying it's Tyree Wilson, but I'm I'm still obsessed with Brian Brzee out of Clemson. Yeah, I think you have to, as the Atlanta Falcons, you have to. I've been saying it all, all season long, that front seven is terrible. The only person we have that's worth a dang is Grady Jarrett. And he's kind of been carrying that defensive line for, what, five years now? For Ever since the Super Bowl run was the last time we had a mediocre defense. So, and every, And since then, it's just been him really in that front being the anchor. So I think uh, as much as I would like someone off the edge, I think I'd rather go for an interior D lineman here. And I have to agree with you here. Uh, Brees from Clemson. Or sorry, Breesy from Clemson. Yeah. Look, Brian Brzee has been fantastic. Since he came out of high school, he was amazing. But he really proved it at Clemson. They had a great pass rush this season, though they didn't you know, live up to the expectations of Clemson. They still only lost two games plus a bowl game. Or no. Two games with the bowl game, right? Am I going crazy? No, three with the bowl game. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Notre Dame, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Um, yep. But, yeah, I think Brian Brzee has showed that, uh, you know, at this point in the draft, because a couple guys will be off the board, that he is the best option here. And so, yeah, I'm going Brian Brzee. Yeah, I would really like, of course, this is – He'll probably be off the war the board by then, but uh, for the Falcons, someone like Miles Murphy, someone who could play both with their size, play both inside and outside as an edge rusher. But uh, Brise would be a great pickup. We gotta bolster that uh, that interior so we can help stop that run game as on the Falcons. Yeah, and, and look, I know that picking up an edge rusher would be an immediate impact on how bad we've been uh, on sack percentage the last two years. But I, I think that when it comes down to it, do you gamble on Tyree Wilson, who's really not that high of a prospect, and take him at eight? Or do you get a guy who, look, we all know that Brian Brze has the X factor, and putting him alongside Grady Jarrett on the interior would just do amazing things for us. Yeah, I definitely think you got to stop you got to stop the run up the middle and it all start starts with your uh one and three techniques and that's really what the Falcons got to focus on. This draft needs to strictly be defense. They need to get uh first round like we said I believe we need to get this uh interior lineman then if we have a second round pick Go for the go. You got to go for a, a linebacker or an edge. Those have to be the next two. Because honestly, in my opinion, I think the Falcons are good in the DB area. Yeah, we could use some more, use some a uh, little help there. But I think we're really in the defense. That's where we're kind of set at. We got to work on that front six, front six, front seven, whatever our defense is. Yeah, I think so the secondary that- just it looks bad because we can't pressure the quarterback. If you made the quarterback rush himself. The secondary would look better, but 
when the ball's going to him every single play, you can't really do nothing about it. Yeah, and I think in this draft, there's enough other receivers, running backs, tight ends, other people that hopefully will get be able to, in the second, third round, be able to sneak a pick or two at a really good linebacker, a really good edge. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk Panthers, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Look, it pains me to say this, but he'll be the best quarterback available. They're taking Will Levis. I mean, I think here you take Will Levis, but the Panthers, I mean, they really love Cam Newton. They love a quarterback that can that's a big dual threat. And I think the he needs a lot of work, but you would you I think they might I oh shit. I think they might go with uh Anthony Richardson from Florida. I think it's definitely a possibility. Um I I I just haven't seen enough of Anthony Richardson for me to say that he should be in the top ten. Like I don't think he should be in the top ten, but I think if there's the I I just they really liked Cam Newton all those years and they and they used him very well. I wouldn't be surprised if they take him. I would personally go Will Levis because I think from what I've seen in college, he's much more prepared for the NFL as opposed to Anthony Richardson. I think Richardson needs another year at Florida. Because he still has a lot of issues with his decision-making. Yeah, and and look, the Panthers are going to take a quarterback. I don't think they want to ride with Sam Darnold, though he had some great performances at the end of the season. Yeah, they need a quarterback, and they're going to go out and get one. And I I think that when it comes to the the combine and and interviewing with teams, that's where Will Levis is going to differentiate himself. Yeah, well, one thing I had to say for the Panthers is, I think they have to get a quarterback here because I don't think Sam Darnold's the answer. But I think we also forget last year they picked up Matt Corral early in the second round, and they let him get hurt like the first week of practice. So they have a pretty, he at least in college, a good quarterback. I, they they have we haven't got to see how he looks in the pros because they let him get hurt almost immediately. But they also do have a quarterback that could potentially be a bridge quarterback for them until they start winning again to get a quarterback. So we'll see what they decide to do here. Yeah. All right, let's talk Eagles. They've got the 10th pick from the New Orleans Saints. And, look, it's kind of a toss-up. Some people think they're going secondary. Some people think they're going running back. Some people think they're going offensive line. Personally, I think they're going to go offensive line. I, I, I don't think that B. John Robinson – as amazing as Bijan Robinson has been at Texas, I don't think he's a top ten pick. I think he should fall probably mid, mid first round. And look, the Eagles still have a chance to get a solid running back. They could get Jameer Gibbs with that pick that they have later in the first round. And I think that this pick is where you go with Peter Skaronsky. Yeah, I definitely think they need a running back here. But I have to agree with you. I think they need a little more help on the offensive line, and I would have to go. <clears throat> sorry, with an offensive lineman, and uh, I'll, and I'll, I'll probably just tag along the same pick as you. All right, I, I like it. I, I think that there's not a lot of teams here that can, there's not a lot of players here that would screw you over. I, I think the only players where you might, you know slip up and and make the wrong pick is uh, look I don't 
100% believe in Tyree Wilson. I do think he deserves to be up there in this draft, but I just don't think that he 100% is going to fit with one of these top 10 teams. And then for Anthony Richardson, we've kind of stated our case on him. I think he just he needs more time, and he needs to get drafted to a team that's willing to have a project quarterback. Yeah. Oh, I also forget. I forgot I took uh, Skronsky with the earlier pick. I'd th- I would right. say the opposite, Paris Johnson to the Eagles. Okay, perfect. Okay, so let's just run back through it real quick. Um, so we agreed Jalen Carter at one. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young at two. Yeah. Will Anderson at three. Mm-hmm. CJ Stroud at four. Yep. And then Miles Murphy to the Seahawks at five. Keely Ringo to the Lions. Yep. And then Raiders, we were split. Uh, I had Paris Johnson, you had Skaronsky. Yep. Falcons, we agreed on Brze. Panthers, we agreed on Levis. And then. Eagles, we split it, Skaronsky and Paris Johnson. You know, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised on how much we agreed on here. We tend to agree on a lot more than what you think, huh? I guess so. <laughs> um, I would say for the Panthers, again, I would totally not be surprised if they took Anthony Richardson just because the, uh, the whole Cam Newton factor. They loved how Cam Newton was, and Anthony Richardson reminds me the most of him because he – Runs the ball a lot like Cam Newton used to. He was he's a true dual threat. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to um, some news that we got. Uh, I believe it was on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the the unfortunate and, and untimely death of Devin Willock, uh, UGA offensive lineman, and Chandler Lacroix, a recruiting staff member. Uh, they were involved in a fatal car crash Sunday morning around 3 a.m. And uh, earlier that day, UGA had their championship parade. And um, uh, the thing that's really you know picked up from this is uh, the pictures of uh, Devin Willock and a young Georgia fan. It looked like they were at like a Texas roadhouse. Yeah. Um, and the the picture of the young kid trying on Devin Willock's championship ring and the the great words that I believe his grandmother or mother had for Devin Willock and just being such a great person and making her son or grandson feel um, just, you know, so excited and out of this world to meet a, a UGA player and uh, an outstanding young man in general. But, yeah, this, this news is just so sad, especially because they just had their parade and they just won a national championship it's really hard to see. Yeah, it is always tragic to see when anybody of any team uh, has a tragic accident and passes away. And it is very unfortunate that they ha- they not only lost one member of their football family, but two with the um, with their uh, recruiting analyst uh, Chandler Lacroix. It is just very tragic. And I mean, there's the all I can say is just I, I, it's very crazy how short life is and how just not to take things for granted he obviously was great at giving back just from the pictures of uh, him with the little kid and how the people how the family described him how great he was and how uh, down to earth he seemed to be despite being a two-time national championship basically living above life he was still very grounded and it's just it's amazing he had such great character and 
very unfortunate this is this happened to him and uh Chandler LaCroix. Yeah. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families of Devin Willock and Chandler LaCroix as well as the uh the UGA football family and anybody close. Um let's talk just a little bit before we get out of here. Uh the World Baseball Classic starts Wednesday, March 8th, and I just want to talk a little bit about some rosters. I know, Brock, you're probably not all that interested in this, but um, I just want to talk about a couple of the rosters that have already been finalized, so uh, just some notable MLB players from a couple of those. So we'll start with uh, all of the international teams, then we'll talk U.S. roster. Um, Starts out with Japan. Uh, U Darvish. Shohei Otani, Seiya Suzuki, Masataka Yoshida, and then the surprise to everybody, Lars Nootbaar is going to be representing Japan. Uh, Lars Nootbaar is, I believe, uh, he's a three, a triple citizen, I believe. I think he's his parents are Dutch and Japanese, and he's American. So he could have played for any of the three. He obviously wouldn't have made the U.S. team. He's not all that great, but... It's so interesting whenever a guy like Lars Nootbaar is representing Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then um, for South Korea, Ha Seung Kim uh, from, the, from the Padres, uh, G-Man Choi, the switch hitting first baseman, which he's not really a switch hitter, but he did hit a home run lefty like two years ago. Uh, and then Tommy Edmond. Uh, another surprise to be playing for South Korea. Uh, the utility kind of second base shortstop for the Cardinals. He has been outstanding. And when I saw his name on the South Korea roster, I was so confused and then looked into it a little bit. Uh, it appears that he is uh, half American, half South Korean. So, yeah, he'll be representing South Korea. It, it's so interesting to see these uh, guys that aren't, you know, you don't think of them being from you know, another country or having another nationality. And then all of a sudden they're representing him on the international stage. And to keep going with that, Puerto Rico, uh, Marcus Stroman and Seth Lugo are both representing Puerto Rico, which I had no idea about Marcus Stroman. I had heard about Seth Lugo. Um, I believe what they called is Puerto Rican is what Seth Lugo is. <laughs> but yeah, this one was another surprise to me seeing Marcus Stroman. I had no idea that he was of uh, Puerto Rican nationality. And then Israel uh, is interesting because Israel, all of the players that have been confirmed on their roster are all born in America. Uh, the notable ones being Richard Blyer, Garrett Stubbs, good old Jock Peterson, and then Kevin Pillar. That is interesting. And then uh, I've got the U.S. roster pulled up in front of me, and I'm just going to run through this one pretty quickly. Um, we've got – let me make sure I've got, like, the most updated one. Here we go. We've got – at the catcher position, we've got JT Romuto and Will Smith. First base, Pete Alonso and Paul Goldschmidt. Second base, uh, Trevor Story's not going to play anymore. He just got uh, surgery, I believe. Uh, and Jeff McNeil at second base. Third base – Nolan Arenado and Bobby Witt Jr. Shortstop, Tim Anderson and Trey Turner. Outfield, you got Mookie Betts, uh, Bryce Harper, but he's not going to play because you got Tommy John, uh, Cedric Mullins, Mike Trout, Kyle Tucker, and Kyle Schwarber. 
And then in the relief pitchers, we've got David Bednar of the Pirates, Dylan Tate of the Orioles, Devin Williams of the Brewers, and Adam Ottavino of the Mets. And then uh, the starting pitchers, which they are just loaded up with starting pitchers. You got Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals, going for a little last last hurrah. And then uh, Nestor Cortez, who I believe he's actually from uh, one of the islands in the Caribbean. I can't quite remember which one. So I was kind of surprised to see him on the U.S. roster. And then uh, Kyle Freeland, Brady Singer, Merrill Kelly, and Logan Webb. And I believe there might be a couple more guys that'll join this roster i'm not too sure but um it's looking like a great roster for the u.s yeah it is just crazy to hear all these mlb superstars on one team and it's like how is any other country gonna compete yeah like i haven't seen puerto rico or the dominican republic's full rosters yet but they're always really good so of course. <laughs> uh, we can expect them to be real good. Another one that I missed uh, because they haven't submitted their full roster is uh, Jazz Chisholm is playing for Great Britain. Uh, I believe he's from the Bahamas or Jamaica, and um, he is qualified for British citizenship. So he'll be playing for the uh, the British World Baseball Classic team. But yeah, we'll we'll keep talking about the World Baseball Classic, kind of hyping it up before we get there. Are there any Braves players on uh, any international? Uh, I officers? haven't seen any. Surprisingly, I'm sure Ronald Acuna will play for Venezuela. I'm I was about sure Ozzy will play for Curacao if they make yeah, it. I'm not sure if they did. Well, I'm really surprised. Uh, well, did Venezuela make it to the World Games, or how does that work? Yeah, I, I believe they did. Yeah, so I'm really surprised. Uh, I haven't seen anything about Acuna playing for him, and I know he loves. Uh, he was just back last time I was on uh, Twitter not too long ago, and he was down there playing all all types of games. Yeah, so the World Baseball Classics as the rosters come in, we'll talk about them a little bit more. Not everybody has confirmed theirs just yet. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. A little bit of a shorter episode with you know not too much going on outside of the NFL playoffs. But we'll keep talking drafts, and we'll keep talking um, baseball as we get closer to the baseball season, which I just cannot wait for. But, uh, Brock, is there anything else you got to leave for the people? Dude, we're one month away from college baseball starting, and your Ole Miss Rebels are number four to start the season. Back-to-back, son. Yeah, we'll see. And we definitely will talk a little bit of college baseball uh, it's definitely something that I'm trying to watch a little bit more of. But I think that'll do it for us. And before we get out of here, thank you again to Brooks for sponsoring this episode. Visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store to get suited up for the new year. And that's going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. Peace. Peace.